The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Identity. Cessna, with the left wing right, turn right. Turn right, Cessna, half mile southwest of Hicks. There you go. You're going to go to the left base for runway 36. Let me see that good turn. Pick up that east-west road. Low wing, half mile southwest of Hicks. Up high, 2,300. Rock your wings. Nice drop there. Beautiful. Straight ahead, 27. Northeast along the tracks for 27 RV. As soon as you get past this, 1,800. Please calm it down. Start bringing it down. Start slowing it down. Low wing with the nose light. Rock your wings. Low wing, half mile south of Hicks. Good rock, good rock. Turn right. Pick up that east-west road. Low wing. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 116 of the Squawk Ident podcast, recorded on the 8th of August, 2022, from the mobile Aviator Sound Studios on the 6th floor of the Hyatt Regency Hotel at the Pittsburgh International Airport. On today's flight, I am excited to welcome back to the show a special guest that we first had on the podcast on Flight 52, Race, Fly, Build. We had him again on Flight 57, Fabrications in the Magenta Line, and on Flight 93, Moderate or Greater. That is when we had the privilege to hear all about his journey in aviation and how he has created the opportunity to build and customize his very own Lancer legacy. He has been chronicling his progress on Instagram at Lancer underscore legacy. He joins us to update us on his progress with the build and he shares some of his experiences he had at AirVenture this year. Joining us today is another exceptional aviator and flight instructor. He is a U.S. Navy Reserve's Chief Information Systems Technician, an Embraer 175 pilot for Sandpiper Regional, the alias to one of Legacy's wholly owned regional airlines. Joining us from the bag room in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, where he is about to start a trip in a few hours, let's just say he's dedicated to the podcast. (laughs) Help us and welcome back to the show, Mr. Alex Daigle. Alex, how you doing? Man, Tony, it's been a long time, no see. I mean, I feel like I just saw you yesterday. Yeah. Recorded an episode. It feels like that to me, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, this... Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been good uh, since the last time we spoke. <laughs> yeah. No, you, we, we were recording the episode uh, 114 oh. yesterday morning. I was on a layover. Shoot, do I don't even remember where I was. Where was I, Alex? Uh, you were in uh, Harrisburg. Harrisburg, yeah. Okay, Hershey, Pennsylvania. And you know, the funny thing is, you know, you get into your hotel room, and they have the little Hershey's chocolate bar instead of a mint on your pillow. <laughs> Hershey chocolate. Yeah, I get it. We're in Hershey. Yeah, thanks. Um, but yeah, it was a uh, we got in late, and then that morning we recorded an episode. Um, the the other fellers uh, were trying to make it, but schedules are just so hectic. And anybody that watches the news knows that pilots are flying like crazy right now. Um, and, You're telling me, you know. And here you are on reserve on short call, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm going to proffer for a trip." So in the middle of recording yesterday, you're proffering. 
for a trip, when, which for those that don't understand what that is. So uh, as an airline pilot, there are different stages of a schedule. The, the lowest stage of a schedule is when you're so junior on the totem pole of seniority that you're on reserve. Now there's different levels of reserve, short call reserve, where you have to be at the airport on call within a couple hours of when they call you. And then there's long call reserve where they'll call you and go, yeah, I've got a trip for you in 10 hours or 30 hours or whatever. Um, Well, we also have on top of all that, we also have airport reserve or airport appreciation days. Yeah. Airport standby. Yes. At the airport for eight hours. Right. And you have to be within a reasonable time frame of a gate. So you have to be on property yeah, at the airport. Yeah, within like 15, 20 minutes to get to the gate. Yeah. Now, the benefit to that is you're getting paid a set amount, I think, what is it, eight hours over at Sandpiper, of mm-hmm. pay to sit in a lounge chair at the airport in a break room facility and watch some, you know, poor, poorly transmitted uh, TV of who knows, Maury Povich or something uh, rerun. Oh no, our TV doesn't even work. I, I watch uh, <laughs> Netflix and Hulu on my iPad. Yeah. At least they give you Wi-Fi in your crew rooms. Um, yeah. so yeah, so you have that and you're sitting there on ready and if they call you, they go, Hey, I got a flight for you. It leaves in 20 minutes out of this gate. And you're like, okay. And so you go, yep. um, so there's different levels. Now, if you're at home the day before a reserve trip and you can proffer Meaning, I would prefer to do this versus that. You can proffer in the computer, put in your preferences to do any of those long call, short call, or uh, airport standby. Or instead, you can actually proffer for an open trip, which is what you were doing. And there were you, you were telling me three open trips were there. There were uh, there was actually six. Um, the Saturday evening that I looked and I made my little notes and preferences and all that stuff, and then. The morning of when you and I were together, I looked uh, on open time again, and a couple of the four-day trips went bye-bye because, you know, well, that's what happens. And um, I uh, there was still a three-day trip and a couple one-day turns or overnight here, overnight there, but I picked up a three-day. Yeah. Now, so what's your three-day uh, entail? So I'm picking up mid trip with a crew from Miami. Uh and they're they were they're coming from Tallahassee to Dallas as we speak, or they should be down already. Um and I'm picking up with them going to Colleen, Texas tonight or today, this afternoon, overnighting in Colleen. Uh Colleen back to Dallas back uh to Louisville. Yeah, Louisville's where I'm going tomorrow night. Uh and then Louisville, Miami back to Dallas and that ends my trip. And there you go. And then, but then you have one more day of reserve after that. Yeah. So now on the list, you're going to be available for only that one day. Odds are they, if they might have a turn for you, they might not, but can you proffer again to do a turn back? Yeah. I put myself on the turn back list. Um, to, in case there's anything available, which there's not open time, right? There is like zero open time. Like I'm surprised that I got this trip to be completely honest. Um, but like open time, if it's there, it's gone because we're in critical coverage. Uh, are you on super critical or just critical? Uh, what's the date? Today's the eighth today. Today in super critical, uh, coverage tomorrow starts critical coverage. Now for those that maybe haven't heard of what sandpiper is doing so there's 
premium pay, which is usually time and a half, right? Then there's critical coverage, which 200. is 200% pay. And then there's super critical coverage, which is 300. 300% pay. So if your hourly rate is, say, let's just make it easy for math, $100 an hour, okay? You're getting paid $300 an hour <laughs> instead of $100 an hour in order to go and fly a trip. So yeah, those trips go fast, like within well, minutes. And then the couple that, if you're a Czech airman, you're getting that super critical coverage on top of your normal pay, right? On top of your check instructor pay or line check airman. So as a line check airman, you're getting a hundred percent. So you're going from, let's do easy math, $200, getting a hundred percent. So there's $400. And then you're getting super critical coverage at 300%. That's $1,200 an hour. I just can't wrap my head around it. I just, I can't. I can't. <laughs> Tony, we're accepting applications here at, at, uh, I, I, I did it. I did it for six years. I did it there for six years. I was a Czech German there. And I tell you what, um, I, I was getting, I think when I first started, it was a $16 an hour override pay. And then when I finally got on the line to do it, it was a $40 an hour override pay. So it wasn't bad. So I got my hourly rate as a captain plus 40 bucks an hour on top of that whenever i was conducting ioe but um i got thousand i mean you could buy a hey hey tony we're accepting applications and i will write you a letter of recommendation well (laughs) (laughs) thanks (laughs) 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 oh god well you know congratulations on being out there on the line and you know and enjoy it enjoy it savor it it happens so fast next thing you know you're gonna look oh tony i got ten thousand hours um so yeah 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 so you're in the bag room yeah what are you doing in the bag room what are you doing in the closet the reason why i was in the bag room is because uh, i didn't want to be in the the crew lounge talking yeah. or you know having all this go on and right. people are like looking at, why are you why are you talking why are, what's what's going on over there so i wanted to find somewhere that's kind of quiet you've probably seen the door open and shut you know yeah. you'll, you'll see it open and shut i guarantee people come in because it's a common space but i mean what else can i do and it's like, nice and quiet so yeah worked yeah. out worked out it's really got good got everything that i need that's also why my camera is a little bit, you know, showing half my face today for, yeah. you know, the video is because it, I had to, to make do and figure something out. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited today because uh, we have a featured guest. He joins us to update us on his progress with the build, and he shares some of his experiences he had at AirVenture this year. He is a Boeing 737 pilot with Legacy Airlines based out of Chicago O'Hare. Joining us from his home in Aurora, Illinois, please help us in welcoming back to the show, Mr. John Gruber. John, how you doing? Doing good, man. Just enjoying a couple days off. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, you know, I I've been following the progress on the build, and every time I look at it, it's like it's almost like you should have your own discovery show. The the process. <laughs> You know, the, the, the fact that you're fabricating carbon fiber and you're modifying all of these stock parts to that are supposed to work great, like the most recent uh, uh, issue you had with, uh, what was it, the, some mechanism that you had to re-drill a hole, refabricate the, 
the piece and drill the hole offset a little bit because the stock unit binded with the was the gear door mechanism yeah the uh, well the, there was the mixture control cable bracket that was off by what three sixteenths of an inch so i had to make a new bracket um which uh, is fun because you get to kind of do learning uh, the metalworking and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, all these pieces come from the factory, you would think, oh, you know, it's just like a couple Legos that go together and fit seamlessly. But um, nope, sometimes that isn't the case and you have to remake a part um, to make it work. Yeah. And, you know, most people, I think they, especially pilots, they, most pilots, I think, have a very technical mind and, and they can figure out these kind of engineering uh, requirements that you have when you're building your own aircraft, um, like an experimental aircraft, like what the Lancer is. Uh, but the, when you're getting into the finite little minute millimeters of, of spacing and tolerances, that takes a very keen eye and a very developed mind on you know how to do it without like doing it three times you know I, if it was me i'd be cutting metal three different times going oh i made the hole too oblong or i made it too small or I made whatever yeah uh, and you're yeah, getting it right there plenty of opportunities to do it three times if not four um <laughs> but that's part of the process of learning and yeah that that keen eye and the minutiae you don't learn the first time there's so many things that um, you, you could just look and accept and say, Hey, this is, this is good enough, or this is, um, or you, you don't know that it's not good enough. So you, you kind of learn as, as you're going that, Hey, you know, you, you don't accept certain things, uh, that you're like, no, I am, I am going to do this again, or, um, I, I have to start from scratch on this particular piece. Um, and there's things, uh, that you, I'm not going to say let go but you allow uh, because you know that they don't hold any structural integrity. It doesn't matter if it doesn't look good. It, it doesn't matter. You know, it's underneath the seat. No one's ever going to see it or there's no structural part of it. And it's just a, a tab that's sitting there. So it doesn't need to be remade four times. Now, in the back of my mind, I want to remake something and I don't, I don't want to leave anything that's not looking good or not, uh, you know, proper. Um, so I end up doing it another time, but there's, there's a, a give and take because the, what is it? The perfection prevents progress. You know, so if, if you want everything to be perfect, you're never going to move forward. Yeah. And, and that holds true. So in so many different aspects of this career as well. Now, for those listeners out there that are maybe just joining us recently and haven't heard your story, you decided to purchase this kit and this was pre-pandemic right um just not long before the pandemic and you ended up kind of right at the beginning yeah, uh, yeah early march late february yeah and yeah. then you ended up in uh, redmond oregon mm -hmm. uh, to put the initial kit together uh, right there from the lancer uh build factory well tell us a little bit about that so yeah the lancer's history they were based in redmond oregon for a long time and this is where uh, my kit was manufactured in Redmond. Uh, the, the headquarters of Lancer is now in Uvalde, Texas, outside of uh, San Antonio. Um, so when I, my kit just happened to still be located in Redmond. Uh, and there's quite a few companies that still exist out there, not Lancer particularly, but a lot of companies that 
work with composites, carbon fiber. They build experimental, fast airplanes uh, built out of carbon fiber. So I used one of those companies to kind of help assist me in uh, building, assembling, and doing all the composite work. The company I used was AI Systems out of Redmond Airport. And they gave me a world of knowledge on how to work with carbon fiber, how to do body work, you know, body filling and sanding and uh, and a little bit of painting. And uh, I would say most of my knowledge of composites has come from working with them and on this project. Yeah. And I remember uh, you chronicled it nicely on, on Instagram, getting the aircraft from Oregon to Aurora, fitting it in the back of that box truck with inches of space left over was so interesting. And in looking back now, a couple years into this project, did you ever think that it would take as long as it's been taking? Uh, yes and no. The you know, with the pandemic happening and having so much time off from Legacy Airlines to work on the airplane it was, um, you know, it was very, you know, an odd time to be having that much time off work, but it allowed me to get so much done on the airplane and create such a pace that was completely unexpected. Um, so that timing was just, you know, I'm thankful for that timing as far as getting the airplane built. Uh, but yeah, since we've all been flying full schedules in the, in the last year, um, it slowed the progress of the airplane down considerably just because trying to manage time uh, between work and working on the airplane, uh, it's not easy. But the pace has picked back up uh, in the last month, you know, with, during the summer, Oshkosh Air Venture, you know, gone a lot. But um, getting into the wiring and electronics now, uh, with some assistance. Uh, so things are starting to pick back up and I'm still hopeful to be flying by the end of this year. Yeah. And originally you were telling me the goal was to fly at the Reno air races in 2023. Is that still uh, plausible? Yes, I think, I think that is, <laughs> that is the goal. I think it's plausible. Um, the, the kind of the first benchmark, obviously getting it flying and then, uh, having my 40 hours of, uh, phase one flying completed by June next year to make sure I can fly it all the way out to, uh, Reno mm -hmm. in June for Pond racing school. So hopefully, uh, I'm conservatively optimistic still that uh, I can have it flying this year and get all the bugs worked out, if any, uh, to be uh, ready to fly out to Reno next year. Yeah. And I see you putting together all the electronics, the, the panel, the, the schematics that you've been putting together to get everything right. It's really it's a nice advanced panel. It's going to turn out real nice with some glass uh, instrumentation and whatnot. But after all of that work, do you feel like the pace that you're going at right now and the pace that you can expect to go at with the schedules, which we'll get into here in a little bit with our, our flight schedules and trying to juggle this and a family at home, um, do you think that the work that you're putting into it is going to continue to pay off in terms of the, its pace? Or do you think that you see this as it's getting progressively harder to achieve these timelines? That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think the majority of what I have left to do is tying up things besides the electrical system, the wiring harnesses and things like that. Um, 
the time to finish that cleanly and make the electrical system nice um, is going to be difficult. Uh, but I think the time spent on that will pay dividends because the final product will look that much better. Um, but with the work schedules and everything like that, I'm still able to carve out you know, the days here and there to get the things done that I want to get done. Um, but it's requiring assistance. There's there's no doubt for the electrical system. Um, uh, for example, I had, uh, a good friend of mine who's an AMP and an avionics guy. He built uh, the beginnings of the wiring harness for me, and he said it took him 18 hours to build those harnesses. And he's very good at what he does. Um, so sitting there at a desk, you know, pinning out things for 18 straight hours, and doing it cleanly and using the right amount of materials, that would have taken me probably three weeks, four weeks. Um, plus I would have wasted four times the material. So, um, having some, having some help, you know, having a team that's starting to help on this electrical system is going to save me a monumental amount of time. Yeah. And what are some of the worst case scenarios of making an error with a wiring harness? I mean, what are we, what are we uh, the worst at? case scenario is you plug it in and everything smokes. <laughs> you, just, <laughs> you donate $30,000 in electronics because you don't know how to wire something. Yeah. And so it's a big deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You could burn up a screen or a GPS or, a, you know, a radio transmitter. Um, yeah. Worst case scenario, you, you put the wrong power wires and you just smoke a piece of uh, electronics. Yeah. So and, and you can imagine out there if you've never put together electronics for any vehicle, um, you know, automotive, aviation or otherwise, it's extremely important. And then can you imagine you, you put together this wire harness, you spend eight, hours, three weeks, however long you spend on it. And then one wire is just that much short. <laughs> oh, <the, laughs> yeah. It's you not in the right place. Happen. Yeah. You, you always want to add that little extra. You can always, you can always trim it, but you can never make it grow. <laughs> yep. And that's what we're doing right now. Uh, actually, after uh, we're done here, I'm going to head over to the uh, hangar and hopefully be cutting my version 2.0 of the panel on the CNC plasma. Um, but yeah, and we need to have all our switch locations kind of precisely set up. So that way, when we run all the wires for the switches that we can, you run them and then you cut them the length where every switch will be. So, and of course you leave a little extra, but you want to have as clean and as tight as a setup as you can um, with enough kind of service loop put in for the wiring. Um, but yeah, you got to know where everything is so you can run the wire accordingly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Alex, feel free to, to jump in also questions too, if you have any. Well, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Like obviously uh, the Lancer is an experimental build, correct? Correct. So when you go to, to certify it and all that stuff, it's not, it doesn't have the same standards that you would if you were like building or rebuilding like a 172 or something like that. Like it's, it's still uh, experimental in that sense that like, I believe when you get the check off, it's just like you get a guy who checks like, you know, nine things and says, yep, your airplane's worthy to fly. And yeah, you so, yeah, it, yeah, it's different. Correct. Yeah. I mean, when you have, uh, have an airplane come out of the Cessna factory, obviously, but it's a certified process on how it's built, how it's assembled um, and the design that goes behind it. Um, on the experimental amateur built airplane, I will have either you know an FA representative on the maintenance side or a DAR designated airframe representative. I think it's the acronym. Uh, he'll come out and yeah, I don't I don't know if it's nine things he checks, um, but yeah, he has his list or she has her list um, of 
things to check to make sure the aircraft complies with the FARs in regards to does it have an ELT, does it have seatbelts, um, does it have, uh, let's say, an airspeed indicator or, or whatever you're trying to certify it for, uh, depending on the type of flight. The one thing, they, they're not certifying it that it will fly well. You know, they're, they're saying, hey, you, well, this is an experiment, right? It's an experimental airplane, so it's an experiment. It's crooked. Um, and that's kind of always the joke. You know, it's, it's just an experiment. And so they have no idea it'll fly. I mean, now, granted, this is a Lancer legacy. It's a proven aircraft um, uh, based off of plans. But I could show, I could have a guy from the FAA show up to my hangar, and I've got a bunch of super glue and popsicle sticks. And, and he can't tell me that it can't fly. He can just say, well, does it have seatbelts? Does it have a, you know, ELT? Does it have ADSB or, you know, things like that. And he'll say, well, Hey, okay. I'll sign this off for phase one. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. What is it? So, and, and that's, that's what you're trying to get to is get that certification. And are you going to, are you going to make it uh, IFR legal? Or are you just trying to stay VFR day? No, I'm going to be IFR night. So yeah, full Garmin GPS approach, uh, glass panel with um, you know lights for night flights, um, and yeah, full gamut of IFRs. Uh, so that'll that's part of it. So normally, um, when you know you're giving your op specs for your airplane by the FAA, it'll say, hey, this airplane is approved for day VFR, except when properly equipped for night and IFR conditions. So you go through the tomato e-flames and you know all that kind of stuff um, and say, hey, yeah, the airplane is certified for night and IFR flying as long as it's properly equipped. Gotcha. Okay. So I, obviously, I'm Tony knows this. I don't have uh, the social medias, um, so I don't get to follow your build like everybody else does. So <laughs> I'm maybe for that listener who's just tuning in, you know, that, that hasn't been... been here or anything like that um i did i have seen pictures of it obviously tony posts some stuff on uh the website um uh, it's, it's a beautiful build and from the stuff that i've seen on the the i think you post on youtube as well is that correct i haven't no just instagram okay i i may have seen stuff maybe on the free stuff of what i can see looking at it trying mm -hmm. to find it um and I remember seeing some of the stuff that you were doing and it was, it was pretty cool to, to see like your, I, the last thing I saw, and this may have been a long time ago, something with your rudder pedals or your feet pedals, mm -hmm. you had to get like special ones because of the, the, the factory ones or the, de, the, the quote default ones weren't going to fit. So you traded somebody for something on that. It, yeah. The, the stock ones, it, what I did was I freed up like, six to eight inches of uh leg room by going with this kind of aftermarket uh rudder pedal assembly and it makes the airplane that much more comfortable to fly and sit in and be in for long trips so that was yeah that's the beauty of experimental aviation is that you get you kind of can make it up as you go along or improve as you go along um and this was a, a known product that is far better than what the original design was and just like Cessna has made improvements to the airplanes over the last, you know, 60 years. So of people on Lancers, you know, and at Oshkosh Air Venture, you know, just last week, you know, I was meeting with all sorts of other builders 
years of Lancer Legacies, among other types of airplanes, and the amount of ideas that you get, you know, with this group think tank, you know, half a million people in the same place, you can acquire so many ideas, tips, tricks. And, you know, I was having people pull their panels for me, or I was climbing up on wow. their landing gear and just asking them questions. And it's amazing. And kind of the humbling part for me is people are looking at my airplane and, hey, you're building a Lancer Legacy too. Can you tell me about this? And I say, oh, oh mine's not even flying yet. <laughs> Like, no, no, but, you know, we've seen your videos. We, you know, we like what you're doing. And can you tell me about this process or um, why you decided this? And, you know, for example, my, my panel, uh, the instrument panel is kind of a, you know, that's the most beautiful thing you see in an airplane, like the paint and the panel. Yeah, and that's what you look at. And that's what people are always wanting to see and ask about. So um, I had people, I have people online and uh, kind of um, critiquing my process and my setup and say, Hey, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Um, and you know, all opinions are what you are worth what you pay for them. Right. So, you know, <laughs> if you pay $0, sometimes they're worth $0, but I've gotten quite a few ideas from other people that say, Hey, you know, I, I would do it this way, or I did it this way. And they're all valid. And I'm, I'm glad to get those ideas because you get to kind of shoot holes in theories or ideas or safety. Um, and I've learned so much from other people. And unfortunately, some people are learning things from me as well. Yeah. And that's, what a that's small, so awesome. it's, it's such a, an opportunity and a small community. So you ended up, you know, and thank you for, for that segue as well. You ended up at Air Venture this year. You, you go almost every year, right? Yeah, probably the past, yeah, I think probably 10, 10, 11 years now. Yeah, and you know, Alex and I were both talking about this yesterday when we were recording another episode. Uh, I've never been. And Same for the here. past 20 years, I've been saying, since I got my private pilot license, I've been saying, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. Since the Same beginning of the, of the podcast, we're like, you know what, we got we to gotta go and maybe record a podcast from AirVenture. That would be great. Maybe we can rent an RV and get a bunch of people together and, and, and just be there for the week and, and for the, for the whole experience, you know? Um, yeah. and again, this year it, it happened again where it just, it, next thing you know, it was like, Oh, by the way, did you know that Oshkosh is in two weeks? I'm like, what? <laughs> so I think we need to plan this like a year out. Um, Absolutely. I'd love that. I'd love to, to have you join us as well. And maybe even give us the guided tour. That would be fantastic. Maybe next year you can fly in. Well, that's, I was going to say, cool. next, next year's going to be his uh, a debut, bringing in his uh, uh, Lancer to uh, Oshkosh before he goes to Reno. I'm hoping so. Yeah, we had the, there's a, a decent conglomerate of Lancer guys there, and I was talking to them all, and you know, they were all excited and hopeful that you know, I'd have my airplane parked there as well next year. And, and, and that's what I'd like to do. You know, that's, that's absolutely the goal, and I, I, I'm pretty confident that that can be attained. Yeah, now every aircraft that i know of their owners usually name them mm -hmm. have have you and jennifer decided yet on a name yes so the the name of her or him or however it would like to be referred uh <laughs> the, name be, the name will be fuse so like um you know the fuse of a bomb or you know lighting the fuse of a stick of dynamite okay um, so that's it you know going in with a you know light the fuse kind of thing as far as uh um, you know, lighten the fire. So, uh, her name will be Fuse. Nice. And, uh, every time we talk or we always ask, you know, uh, what color, what color, and it always changes every single time. Have you guys decided yet? 
No, paint. I, I, there's so many mechanical and electronics and there's so many other things going on. And, but that, like I said, paint and panel are what people are drawn to. What are you going to yeah. do for panel? What are you going to do for paint? Um, I mean, it, it will most likely be a fairly simple, uh, you know, white base with some colored swoops and lines and things like that. I, I don't plan on doing a massively complex checkerboard painted rudder or either the, typical thing like that. Um, so if I keep it fairly simple, that'll allow for uh, more viewing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that looks pretty good. I suggest custom, like something like that. <laughs> no, my, my thought process is this, the more simple I keep the paint job, yeah. the more room there are for sponsors, you know, when I'm at the racetrack. So, uh... so you know, when Google and Facebook want to just buy the whole airplane, you know, space on the wing to sponsor and put their logo, you, you go. know, I've got more simple room to put it on there. Amazon on the tail. And yeah, they'll, exactly. they'll pay for that. We're not trying to pedal here to Facebook and Amazon and, you know, Google and all that. But hey, if you guys are listening, John's looking for sponsors for his Lancer <laughs> legacy. You know, and, and what a, a humbling experience to know that the goal is absolutely attainable with the progress that you've made. You know, your, your, your build is immaculate. Um, watching it's such a clean hangar too. I mean, most hangers are <laughs> a nightmare. Your hangar is just immaculate. You can eat off the floor. You got, you build your own stations. You got your, your carbon fiber fabrication station. You have your wiring station and, and it's all laid out so nice. Um, I really do appreciate uh, being a part of watching the process and being able to log in and see what you're doing every day. Um, and thank you for doing that. I mean, uh, you've mentioned last time that, you know, through that process, you'll go back and look at old videos that you've posted just to go, how did I wire that? And how did I, you know, where did that bolt end up going? I don't remember. So you go back and, and it's actually kind of like a diary or a journal of, mm -hmm. of what you've done. And it's a great way to, to look at back and, and help you with the build. Have you had to do much of that lately? Um, yeah, there, when you get so involved in one part of the builds, let's say electronics or wiring the, um, the, just the flat position sensor, when you spend, you know, kind of a week on that and, and when there's, you know, a week off in between because of all of our work trips, you know, you have to come back like, well, shoot, what was I working on the last time I was here? And you kind of have to remind yourself where you were, what you were doing. Um, and, but I'm, I'm starting to get a lot more, I've got like a hit list on a uh, notes app in my phone. Like, this is what I was working on. This is what I know, you know, cause now it's wrapping things up in certain systems. So if I see something that isn't complete, I either mark it with blue tape and, and, or I put it in my notes app and say, Hey, this needs to be handled at some point because the airplane doesn't fly until this is dealt with. Yeah. Um, and yeah, referencing previous videos and pictures. I mean, I, my phone is a constant, just you know, just a brick of pictures and videos. And I'm having to, you know, Hey, your phone is almost out of data. I like, got crap, you know? So I got to start, you know, going back and deleting other things. Um, cause yeah, there's a, a mountain of videos and pictures, which there should be. I mean, you have to document your build well. And, um, 
when you go to places like Oshkosh, you'll see people uh, when they're having their airplane judged or they'll have a binder, you know, kind of an old school binder of pictures. Yeah. And you can kind of scroll through just all these pages and you get to see somebody's documented history of the last 10 years of their life building. Um, kind of for me, I'll probably have like QR codes that people can scan and it'll pull up my Instagram account and they'll be able to do the same thing, just a digital scrapbook of, you know, kind of this build. Uh, yeah. So I, I really enjoyed doing it, going, having something to reference, like you said, going back to videos and, you know, I can't believe I did that or thank God I had the help for this. Um, it's, it's a nice reference point to see how far I have come with this and, you know, still how far I have to go. Yeah. And speaking of paint and panel, um, have you decided, have you already purchased your, your panel equipment? Yeah, all the Garmin avionics, hashtag Garmin, um, uh, have come. It took, I ordered everything back in October of last year, and I just got the final piece um, of electronics from Garmin like maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, just before Oshkosh. Mm -hmm. uh, so the backlog is real. Um, it took a while to get all the parts. Now, granted, I wasn't necessarily ready for all the parts, but now that I have them, yeah. the wiring harnesses and the connectors, we all can get you know started on that and get going. So um, not that my airplane would have been completed any sooner because there's so many other things to work on, um, but it's nice to have all that complete and so I can actually you know get moving forward. And I'm sitting next to some boxes that I have to bring to the hangar today. Uh, Backup batteries, airspeed switches, you know, just yeah. all sorts of things. And so what are we looking at here? What what models and uh so Garmin G3X screens. So the by the 10.6 inch Garmin screens, the big rectangular ones. So there's two of those. Um and then I have a GNX, I believe, GNS or GNX 375, which is going to be the IFR certified GPS. So that's my WASH GPS that I can do IFR navigation for both terminal and route uh, you know, and approach. And then uh, a GTR 200, which is a comm radio, and then an autopilot control head, a GMC 507, I believe that one's called. And so that, that'll that make up the bulk of what you see on the panel as far as glass screens are concerned. And then I've bought all the switches and uh, flap levers, indication lights, um, engine start buttons, uh, all those kind of things are kind of ancillary that were bought through various companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now with an experimental aircraft, I understand that there are some limits into airspace that you can fly into. Is your aircraft going to be equipped enough to where that you can fly in a like class Bravo and things like that? Or do you still have to avoid that airspace? So, um, don't quote me on any of this stuff because I don't have the regulation sitting out in front of me, but, um, an experimental aircraft can go into controlled airspace, you know, Bravo airspace, Charlie Delta, all that kind of stuff. Um, it, you have to avoid flight over populated or densely populated areas. Um, and we can kind of stop recording because I probably should look this up, um, or not stop recording, but I should probably look this up. So I don't get it wrong. Oh well, yeah, we could. We have time if you want to, because just because that's like a good question for people out there. That oh I, yeah. yeah, no, and well, it's kind of one of those um, uh, things where it's like, yeah, you can't, you know, you're not supposed to, but nobody cares, and everybody flies there. I mean, because like technically, I'm not supposed to be able to fly over the city of Chicago, but I have, and it's one of those things. that's not a problem until it's a problem. Like, hey, if you have an engine failure and crash on Lakeshore Drive in Chicago, they'd be like, why were you flying over there? Right. Uh, so, you know, with the experimental aircrafts, as the Lancer Legacy is, 
Uh, there are certain caveats in the FARs that say that you can't fly over certain areas and certain airspaces. Are you going to have those limitations considering the the package that you have with the ADSB and IFR and all this equipment? You would think that you would not need those kind of limitations. You're almost equipped more than most general aviation airplanes out there. Um, are you still going to be bound by those restrictions? Um, that's a good point. So the avionics that I've got in this Lancer, we have once again fully IFR, glass cockpit, all the kind of the modern amenities. Um, yeah, I'm better equipped than a 1960s Cessna 172. That is a certified aircraft, technically. Um, that doesn't make me any better. It just means I've got more modern stuff. Uh, now, when the FA makes my operating limitations per se, they'll probably um, have one of the notes on my operating limitations that'll say. Um, flight into densely populated or over densely populated areas is prohibited unless you're either under the control of air traffic control um, or, you know, for except for the uh, case of takeoff and landing, you can be in those areas, but you can't just loiter around downtown Chicago for no reason. That just, once again, it isn't smart and the FARs make sense there. But if, if there's an airport right there, um, and I need to take off and land there, there's no reason for me not to be there. The The rule then that applies will be, well, you cannot fly over these densely populated areas unless you're flying at a safe altitude in which if you had a power unit failure, that you could make a safe emergency landing. So that's kind of that catch-all statement of, hey, you can't fly anywhere unless you are at a proper altitude to make a safe emergency landing if you were to have an engine failure. Um, but I can I can be in Bravo airspace, you know, I can fly into O'Hare, I can fly into LAX, I can fly into these places because one, I'm talking air traffic control mm -hmm. and you know, I'm taking off and or landing there. So I, I have a need to be there. But the the goal of the FA is to just not have, you know, this popsicle stick super glue airplane just flying over the top of LA, you know, for no reason. Yeah. And I think it's because, you know, you have a when you have a certified aircraft that you purchased like Cessna or Piper or Diamond or whatever and you know you just want to cruise around and do maybe the the airport hop in Phoenix where you go all underneath the Bravo never talking to them and just you know hop do touch and goes at six different airports just to do the the round robin you can do that not have to talk to ATC unless you're talking to a control tower and just you know do circles over your house if you want to yeah. no problem uh, but if you're in an experimental aircraft, I think that always confused me a little bit because I thought, well, now you're restricted to all this stuff. But thank you for explaining that because that makes sense. You can still do the hop. You just have to talk to ATC and not loiter, basically. Yeah, I mean, the, the expectation is that a certified aircraft that has gone through all the FAA certification process. So it's, it's a known quantity. And the FAA knows what a Piper is. It knows what a Cessna 172 is. Um, the experimental, it, once again, it's an experiment. So I'm just a guy putting something together, hoping it's going to fly. So of course, the FAA is going to say, hey, yeah, you can fly it over cities and things, but there's a little stipulation on making sure it's done safely. You know, hey, you need you need to be responsible to be at an altitude to be at a, you know, to make a safe emergency landing at any time. Um, and, you know, don't just hang out there for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. Makes total sense. Mm -hmm. I think I think what they're trying to get is those the weekend warriors, like you're saying, with the popsicle sticks and a lawnmower engine that, that they don't want them, you know, cruising at half the speed of smell sitting over Chicago 
100% no row hair without talking to anybody. Mm-hmm. You sound like you're going to be doing less of that than actually like point to point or, you know, going to, to Reno to go race or whatnot. So your, I guess, mission of your flight is a lot different than, you know, your typical weekend warrior who builds an RV so that they can, you know, go out and have their airplane and fly it on the weekends, if you will. Yeah. I mean, with all that being said, there, uh, you know, my uh, kind of plug for the EAA and experimental aviation, these airplanes are no less safe than a Cessna 172 or, you know, an RV6, an RV7, a Lancer Legacy. These, these aircraft are being built so cleanly, so nicely, um, and people that are taking such care, they're not unsafe or, you know, less safe than, uh, let's say, a certified aircraft, in my opinion. Uh, they just don't comply with the federal regulations as far as how they were built, you know, in a certified manner. Um, now, there's a lot more variance in them because you can do these different things. You can use different products. Um, and that's why the FAA, like I said, they, they want to kind of con- control as best they can um, where those airplanes are and, and the the risk mitigation. The FAA is about mitigating risk. And if, if you put 100 certified airplanes or 100 experimental airplanes in the same area, which is going to be more safe. So they're yeah. trying to kind of keep control on that. Yeah, and it's interesting because we can circle back to the fact that, you know, Alex was mentioning that you were having issues with the factory pedals and you were able to install some aftermarket uh, rudder pedals that would be more comfortable. With a Cessna 172, you can't do that unless you get an STC, right? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. You have to get approval or an AD to change that. It's been approved by the FAA to change from part A to part B. With an experimental, you don't need those ADs. You, you can just go ahead and modify because as a builder of the experimental you have so much more leeway and that's what makes experimental and home builds kind of exciting is you get to be a howard hughes (laughs) yeah you get to you get to progress aviation you know tenfold uh speed wise as far as well hey this idea didn't work i want to make it better Um, whereas a 172 you know had the same seat tracks for their seats until there was an accident and then they're like oh well no we need to redesign this but you know if you want to put a new engine in a Cessna it takes years and years of you know test flying and maybe and you actually would make a Cessna one or uh, an ex- that um in the case where you had a certified airplane like a 172 you would have to turn that aircraft into an experimental test bed if you wanted to try and put a new engine on it. And then, so that would be an experimental aircraft until you've got that new engine certified and the process for installing it and all that kind of stuff for an STC or an AD or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. And thank you for sharing. More right after the break. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Well, we've been discussing the progress that John has been going through in building his very own airplane, his Lancer Legacy. He has an Instagram page where 
He's been doing basically vlogs, uh, video logs and photos of the pro progress over the last couple years of building this airplane. It's not as easy as you would think. I mean, he, he jokingly earlier in the podcast said it's you know not like Legos, putting Legos together. And it it really isn't. You're fabricating parts and pieces and, and modifying and you're you're the regular Howard Hughes of of experimental builds, my friend. Um, but you know, recently you had the opportunity to go to AirVenture, AirVenture 2022, one of the highest numbers of attendance in history. Last year, you graced us with some audio feedback. This year, we have you here in person to give us an update of what you experienced and what you saw. Now, you mentioned you've been going now for a about a decade, right? Yeah, probably about ten years. Yeah, consistently. Yeah. Now, what what made this year different than all the other years that you've been? Well, the I mean, twenty twenty one last year was kind of that first post COVID time where you know, hey, this is the biggest event we've all been to after COVID, um, and so it was a little bit reserved, and you know, obviously everybody's a little on edge still with all the COVID protocols and things like that. But now, let's say life has gotten back to normal per se, and so uh, Air Venture was back in full swing. Like you said, the attendance was a six hundred fifty thousand plus, so I think it's one of the highest numbers that they've ever had. Um, well over ten thousand aircraft. Um, and and I drove the whole whole property line of aircraft all the way from the northest north forty to the southest south forty, um, and it was filled. I mean, it was absolutely filled. So the attendance was amazing, and the number of aircraft, the sheer number of aircraft, was just outstanding. Um, and you're just captivated by all these airplanes, all these aviators, all in one place. And it is experimental aviation's, you know, headquarters. It's where everybody comes with their experimental builds. So you have all these people that have spent years and years of their lives building, maintaining, um, and all these people coming to learn about it and to maybe get involved and get started. Uh, and then just the kind of the passerbys, the people that just love coming to air shows uh, that aren't pilots at all, but they're just fascinated. Um, by all the aircraft, all the companies, all these vendors that are there, you know, Cessna, Piper, Cirrus, um, Vans, aircraft, there's just literally thousands of vendors um, for uh, to get ideas from, to buy products from, to modify things. So the, the time spent there is always so invaluable uh, to the knowledge that you get there. Yeah, and this year, was there a particular event that uh, really stood out for you? So yeah, this uh, kind of being a post-COVID world, this was definitely the first year of, you know, hey, we're back and all the displays were back, all the military aircraft were back. Uh, but for me, my favorite parts and the biggest things that stand out are kind of the night air shows that happen on Wednesday and Saturday. Those are always spectacular. Um, and do such a great job. And then also my favorite part of Oshkosh is the seaplane base. And so I go there every year on uh, like Tuesday, sometimes Thursdays as well. And we just go and sit there all day. Um, where AirVenture is this massive, massive uh, conglomerate of people, airplanes, companies, the seaplane base is like this little um, corner sideshow that's just calm and quiet and peaceful. 
and just a beautiful area to sit and enjoy and watch kind of like another aspect of aviation because you know a lot of people don't even know seaplanes exist and so this is like a huge little area um where it's not loud it's not bustling it's just like a calm little area to to see and so i always really enjoy seeing that because you get so many airplanes coming from canada and from the pacific northwest uh, that just want to come land on the water and it's really cool to see yeah. And, and that's always also, you know, Oshkosh was like one of my big goals to, to mm-hmm. attend at least, you know, more than one time. Um, and the other is to eventually get myself a seaplane rating. I've always found go. that so intriguing to like be up in Alaska and land on a lake somewhere and go camping and hopefully not have a bear destroy your airplane while you're sleeping and then, you know, fly out in the next day and, and, and head back. Um, is that something that you're interested in too? Do you have a seaplane rating yet or? Yeah. So I do have a seaplane rating and it's kind of that, um, yeah, the seaplane, like you said, you know, camping on the side of a lake with the airplane that you just landed on the water. It's that romantic fantasy that we get as a pilot where you just like, you're unencumbered by runways. You create your own runway wherever you find it. So it's that sense of adventure and uh, just discovery and being able to do something that's a little more raw and, um, that's, I think, why people love backcountry flying so much, why people love seaplanes so much. You, you get to make, you are the engineer. You get to engineer your own runway wherever you go. Um, and you get to create and mitigate your risk instead of just, nope, this is a piece of pavement put out in front of me. Um, so it's such a kind of a, a beautiful part of aviation, I think, because you're in control of everything. And, and some things are out of your control. And so you get to move with the punches kind of thing. Um, when those things uh, can, are presented. And it's a lot of fun to especially be out in nature and not just on a piece of pavement. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, uh, Oshkosh, are you there for multiple days? Do you stay in like lodgings or do you just drive back and forth daily? Awesome. So I am very fortunate enough to be uh, the group of friends that we go or group of aviators that kind of I organize. Uh, we have people from all over uh, kind of the aspects of aviation. We have airline guys, we have um, air traffic controllers, we have uh, air show pilots. So people with P-51s, you know, myself that has experimental aviation, airline background, other guys are air traffic controllers, but I organize a big camper that we all stay in. So it's kind of a, just a big conglomerate of aviation from all different parts of it. Um, we have guys that work for the National Airspace System, uh, contracted in Virginia, and uh, the people that are on the drone side of the industry. So you bring all these people together, you know, you, you maybe add a couple beverages and you get some great conversation uh, about all aspects of aviation. And, and we're there all week normally. We'll come in on Sunday and stay through the Sunday and that you just, you're totally immersed. You know, there's nothing that you're doing that doesn't involve aviation. Wow. It sounds terrible to some, but we enjoy it. Oh. That's so awesome. Yeah. Now you're yeah. just, you're just like increasing the bug bite, man. I just, yeah. Oh. yeah. Tony, I think we need to get something on the books for 2023 squawk. ident at air at EAA air venture. Yeah, yeah. Buy a booth, you know, just spend a couple thousand. It's all, it's all a tax write off anyway. Yeah. And you can interview people coming by. That's right. That's right. And, and <laughs> I just need to get the banners and the posters and all that stuff. It's cheap. It's cheap. <laughs> yeah the, the equipment problem, i have like tony it's it's so hard like oshkosh is such a big event 
And like, I normally have my phone off most of the week because, you know, just so many things, but you, you'll run into somebody and you'd be like, Oh, Holy shit. I haven't seen you in a year or in a while. I mean, the guy I used to fly B24s with, with Collins foundation. I just, I was like, Holy crap. You end up, you're going somewhere to do something, but you see a guy you're like, and then you end up three hours later. Oh shit. You know, what was I doing? So like, or if someone's like, Hey, I just got here. You want to meet? I'm like, well, no, you're a two mile walk that way. And, you know, it's, it's so hard because it is such a big event, um, which is cool. But logistically speaking, I, all my good friends in Chicago, I normally don't see them the entire week. Uh, Just so many other people, you know, around and people you're trying to see and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's annoyingly large. Yeah. So realistically, like, I know they say like, if you go to like Disney world, right. Like you need to take like four days to go to Disney world to appreciate like each park what's the what's the the day like how many days do you really need to appreciate air adventure i mean i'm gonna say go for the week i mean just because that's what i do um but it, it depends on what your mission is um if you want to see everything um you're gonna need i mean it starts on saturday the Saturday before, because that's when everybody starts flying up and you could literally sit out on the grass next to the runway and watch thousands, literally thousands of airplanes land. And you do nothing for an entire afternoon, except sit in your lawn chair um, and have a beverage and just binoculars and watch all these experimental airplanes land. And you could spend an entire day just doing that. Um, So that would be your Saturday, Sunday, they're still setting up. And so you could still watch airplanes, but you can see all the booths being set up. You kind of see the infrastructure going up and you see the thousands, tens of thousands of volunteers that are making this whole operation happen. Um, So that's really amazing and exciting to see um, at AirVenture, just all the volunteers come together to get this all set up. And so you just see this massive influx of airplanes and people and infrastructure. And then Monday when the show starts, you've got a half a day to walk around and see, you could probably see a quarter of the air show uh, as far as vendors and booth and aircraft mm-hmm. um, and then the air show starts at 1 p.m or 2 30 p.m every day so 2 30 to 6 you're watching an air show um, so then you're not moving again you're just watching the planes and then um, you know you're going to find a bar or a restaurant to have dinner or one of the many food vendors at air venture um, and that i mean so in my mind you've only seen one tenth of the air show by monday um, and Tuesday, you know, I, I take a particular day and I go to all the hangers where the vendor booths are and talk to people. Well, I, cause I needed a battery. I needed, um, some servos, some things. And, you know, I wanted to talk to Garmin about a technical issue. Um, so it's, it kind of depends on your mission. If you have people to talk to and physical, um, things you need to accomplish, that's very different from just, Hey, I'm just going to be wandering and enjoying the view. Uh, but you can take as much or as little a time as you want on any particular area. Um, but I took half a day, for example, just to go to the South 40, like the very south, southern tip of the airport where people are parking, because I just wanted to see how many airplanes were down there. And that took half a day. Um, <laughs> roundabout, yeah, you could spend an entire week there, but if you wanted, if you wanted to get through the entire show and just kind of like capture everything, mm-hmm. I would say the best thing to do would be show up on Sunday and stay till Thursday. Um, yeah, because Wednesday night's the night air show, and you kind of have to see that it's one of a kind, um, and uh, that would that would give you enough days to see everything. You still would not see everything, but because you have like every evening, there's a stole competition at the stole runway, and so and that's a three hour endeavor right there. Um, 
So there, there's so much to do. And like every year, the entire Tuesday, we go to seaplane base and just get hammered. Um, but <laughs> um, so every every year on Tuesday, we go to the seaplane base and we bring a cooler full of beverages and we, we don't leave until all those beverages are gone and we sit there and enjoy uh, all the, the kind of the calmness and camaraderie of just, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a camping trip. Nice. And so what's your favorite uh, food vendor? Well, we cook a lot of our own food. Like I bring my smoker and we bring a Blackstone grill. And so we, we cook a lot of our own stuff. Um, but the favorite food vendor, I mean, they have like A&W root beer floats and cheese curds. Oh, and like wow. County fair food. Yeah. Um, which is always pretty good. But yeah, by the end of the week, you know, you just don't want to touch fried food. because. <laughs> like, yeah. So, so you're saying that in order to like, I, I would say thoroughly enjoy it, you need to spend the week there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you're going to come, yeah, doing a day trip is unrealistic. Um, that you, there's no way. I mean, depending on how you are on time and things like that, um, you know, coming in and doing like a two day, you know, coming in the morning, walking around the entire air show, getting a hotel that night and then doing another day, walking around the entire air show, you're still not going to see everything. I guarantee it. Um, but you're, you're going to at least get a good taste of it. Yeah. Gotcha. But yeah, well, of course, I'm going to see the entire week. Yeah. yeah. It looks like a, a week, week adventure is, is a uh, week long adventure is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah, one of those no, things. I, I plan my week. We, uh, sorry, hold on one second. I just want to make sure it's not my Amy. Um, now, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about flight schedules. We, we talked about how everything's kind of ramping up. The industry the, has been crying that, you know, we are, have a shortage of pilots, and that's why all these cancellations. It's easy to kind of point the finger at one particular group. We all know here in the industry that it's not just a shortage of flight crews that it's a shortage of staffing all across the industry from all vendors on all aspects from fuelers to catering to you know baggage handlers i mean there's just a shortage and the shortage comes from this kind of rubber band effect that we've been talking about for years now where uh, the companies had to cut costs they had to lay off they had to furlough um they had to offer uh, early retirement packages for pilots. Those pilots are never coming back because why would they? I mean, they're retired and they're, some of them are even getting compensated for staying home. So now uh, we're starting to see what we have been claiming would happen probably for the last, you know, John, you and I have been talking about this for probably more than 10 years. The regional industry cannot sustain itself because of the lack of staffing of, mm. of pilots. Um, so they're throwing money at it right now to try to get people enticed into, uh, as, as Alex is, is happily going, yay, uh, enticed to come into the industry. But we're actually starting to see the effects here at Mainline as well, where like this week I was laying over in Santa Barbara earlier in the week. Uh, oh, darn. something that I, I used to do as the shuttle out of LA all the time for Sandpiper. I mean, we were doing, you know, four or five legs a day, just going back and forth to Santa Barbara, LA, Santa Barbara, LA. We're talking a 15 minute flight. The, the fastest I ever did it was in 14 minutes. Um, so, you know, you, you, you launch off of uh, the north side of LAX, you get to 10,000 feet, you get clearance direct over the, the ocean. And then they say, you have the airport in sight, you're clear the visual. 
And that's when you do, all right, gear down or 250 knots, gear down, flaps, <laughs> you know, whatever it was, nine degrees. And then you chop and drop and you do this beautiful, you know, like Cessna 172 visual approach over the farm, 500 feet, high bank turn left and land on a short runway. Well, this is the first time I did it on the Airbus 319. And my captain's like, I've never been to Santa Barbara. You're flying that leg. I was like, okay. So I kind of walked him through. I'm like, yeah, I used to do this all the time. It's been years, but this is the process, you know, and actually found out that at Legacy, you're not allowed to do a visual approach at night. You have to do the VOR. And the VOR is an offset, kind of like an LDA. Um, yeah, and, VOR alpha. Yeah. So it, here we go, you know, and so it's the same thing though, because at 900 feet, the MDA, you got to have it visually and you don't want to go straight to the numbers because you're going to be off by like 30 degrees. So you, know, you have to do the same procedure, go over the farm, make the bank turn. And I've seen this happening more and more out of Los Angeles that we're going into these airports that were traditionally serviced by regional carriers. Are you seeing that out of Chicago as well? Yeah, we're, um, let's see, we're doing Bozeman, Kalispell, um, some of these mountain towns um, that I don't remember going to, or, you know, or for a long time, not with a uh, legacy. And we're going to Syracuse, New York, Buffalo, New York, uh, kind of these, yeah, upstate New York towns that uh, I used to love doing those overnights, you know, in the regional. So, um, yeah, we're starting to hit some of those, I'll say the smaller market cities uh, with bigger airplanes to help with. Um, uh, uh, what's the term? Uh, starting to hit those smaller market towns with uh, frequency of more flights. Uh, if if the regionals can't do them all, and sure, yeah, we'll we'll take the slots and you know we'll fly in there too. Yeah, and Alex, have you? We're see- we're seeing it at Legacy or at uh, at Sandpiper. Uh, Mainline's taking some of our a lot of our Mexico flying. Like we used to go like everywhere in Mexico, and now we're only going to Aguas Calientes and. Um, uh, Monterey. So are you really? Cause I'm go going to, to Monterey in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Monterey, Mexico. Uh huh. Oh, okay. Well, I, I know that mainline still does that, but like we used to go to like Oaxaca and, um, uh, Mexico city. Chihuahua. And, and yeah. 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 But now we're just really just going to Aguas and, uh, and Monterey mm. and, because mainline's taking it over because we don't have the staffing to do it. You know, I, I I think they're still claiming that they're going to park airplanes, which is wow. insane to me. Yeah. And that, and they're they're phasing out the the one forty five. Well, they're phasing out the one forty five from um, Sandpiper, Sandpiper that I'm at, and they're phasing it to another wholly owned Sandpiper, mm-hmm. um, based out of the East Coast. So I don't know how that shift's going to affect us in the type of flying that we're doing. Cause if they're phasing out all the one forty fives in Dallas, which they're, I think they're going to leave like 35 by the end of the year total. Mm. Um, and I think that's between Dallas and Chicago. Yeah, I know. Um, and I think Chicago is going to be the primary oh. hub for all that. If they're leaving that, then they're leaving the one seventy five out of Dallas as their main, you know, bread and butter. And, you know, now we're going to have to start looking at, okay, well, what routes were the one fives doing? Like going to, you know, Waco, right? That's a, what, 30-minute flight? And now you're going to do that in a 175 versus doing it in a 145. So they might 
have some of the other uh, sandpiper, um, not holy owns, but the other contracted out carriers. carriers. Yeah. Yeah. Take over on maybe some of the CRJ flying that they're doing out of here. It's, you know, and plus there's, there's rumor and this is a strong rumor that they're going to open a, another sandpiper base. Mm. And we didn't actually get to talk about this. We put this on the shelf yesterday that we never got to talk about, but they're looking at opening another base and rumor is in Austin. Oh, that would be a good base. It, it would be, but it's right down the street from Dallas. So why would you have a base near another, a major hub? Well, uh, Austin, I can tell you, uh, is, has a lot of departures daily. Oh yeah. You know, and with the formula one, uh, track there, they get a lot of business, a lot of corporate flying goes in there. I can remember flying out of there after the, uh, uh, formula one race and there had to been 200 corporate jets on the ramp and they even had metering just to to get in queue for departure. And it was amazing. I had not seen that many airplanes in one location in a long time for, for such an event that I, you would not think was so big, but yeah, Austin definitely gets the traffic and it would make sense. They, they would definitely fill those seats. I mean, we, I'm here in Pittsburgh right now and I'm, this airport is huge. And this was a base for a carrier. I believe it was us airways back in the day um and now it's a ghost town but the the airport is beautiful it's modern and and it just would be a fantastic base for even legacy uh why they don't take advantage of that i don't know and there's there's obviously other speculation of you know should should sandpiper try to get a west coast footprint again you know are they going to look at going back to la they've that rumor has been going since la closed and i'm pretty sure you were you were there when la closed yeah i was the assistant chief at the time (laughs) yeah so but that rumor has never left yeah Uh, when la closed that was yeah and and, but right now the rumor that we could get laguardia back again yeah, and, and there was also the rumor that uh, Sandpiper was going to buy JetBlue. I mean, I, I've spread that one. <laughs> so, yeah, but, you, you know, got to take it with a grain of salt, but it is a shell game, and the company is always constantly looking, and it's not going to happen until it, it's happened and you read about it or you listen about it on the news. That's when we will find out about it. Um, you know, they don't ever give us <laughs> any insight because they don't want any kind of insider information being leaked. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of shell game a lot of shifting going on and i know the chicago schedules have traditionally been extremely heavy it's always been chicago and dallas for legacy airlines those are the two main hubs yeah sure new york had a great footprint with international as did la but domestically chicago and and dallas were huge and still are now i've seen a lot of shifting in terms of going base to base to base to base in one trip um, in Dallas, uh, uh, that's also the case for the most part. How about Chicago? Uh, is that uh, still something you're doing, or do you, are you kind of adopting more of that hub and spoke that we used to see over at the regional? I'd say it's a mix. Um, I'm still hitting a lot of other bases. You know, a Chicago trip, a four day trip, or a five day trip. I'll leave Chicago day one, and I won't see Chicago until I finish the trip. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So through San Francisco to Dallas, but then, you know, on day two, let's say you'll do Dallas to Bozeman, Montana, and then from Bozeman, Montana, you go to LaGuardia. So you're doing both sides of the spoke, which is is odd for us because we're used to kind of going out and back or, or hub to hub or things like that. But now when you're transversing two hubs through a, a an outstation that, you know, a regional outstation, we would have called it back in the day. Yeah. You're like, well, this is odd. Yeah. Yeah. And any, uh, any highlights to your flying now that you're back in full swing of, of things that you would like to um, share with us? I've been doing, so I went back to the domestic side as of April. So I've been doing uh, a lot of trailing red eye trips have kind of been what I've fallen into quite a bit. So uh, just yesterday I flew the red eye back from Vegas to Chicago. So um, I would call that my highlight is every day or every time I'm getting done with work, normally I'm you know landing at O'Hare at about 5 to 5, 10 a.m. And then I'm done for the day, uh, which is nice getting done that early. But, you know, you're dragging through a couple cups of coffee to get through that. Yeah. Now, now the, the trailing red, I think, uh, is much harder on us than the kickoff tr- uh, red eye. Like, like this, actually, a trip I have next week, it's going to be... A kickoff red eye so i leave los angeles at close to midnight i land in wherever i'm going pittsburgh east coast somewhere at like five or six in the morning and then you have 10 hours of rest give or take behind the door at the hotel where you're trying to blacken out the curtains you're trying to get the room to sub arctic cold so that you get under the sheets pull the sheets over your head block out any light and sleep and not get hot but it's not easy with circadian rhythms being what they are. You know, it's hard on the body and you don't ever sleep the full 10. I mean, at least I don't, I probably get five hours, six hours in and then, okay, now I'm hungry. I'm up, you know, my body's used to being up and about, you know, hit the gym. That helps a lot um, to get a little bit of blood, blood flow to the body and then, you know, get a good meal in and then you're back at it. You're back at the airport by six or seven o'clock in the afternoon or in the evening. And now you're flying a late night flight. And you're, mm-hmm. you're go, go, go. But at least on those sequences, when you land at, say, 11 or 10 or 11 o'clock at night on day three or four, you're, you're, you're done, you're spent, but you're kind of back into that circadian rhythm that you're accustomed to. So you can go to bed at a decent hour. I noticed that when I fly the sequences with the trailing edge uh, red eye, then it takes me almost an entire day to recover. I mean, yesterday you had texted me saying, Hey, I'm, I'm awake from my red eye. <laughs> I'm going to join in on the recording you're doing today. And I was like, dude, you only slept like two or three hours. <laughs> how, yeah, do you, how do you, 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 you manage? Like you said, you manage it as best you can. And surprisingly, I was able to get like three and a half hours of sleep before my red eye. And I slept for two hours when I got home. And so it was probably the best I've ever felt after a red eye, but yeah, no doubt you're the first half of the day after you get back, you're just like, well, yeah, I'm a zombie. <laughs> yeah. And Rob always says the rule is after a red eye, no power tools for 24 hours. <laughs> financial decisions. Or, or yeah, no financial. So are you abiding by that and not touching the airplane or the fabrication? Yes. I did not touch the airplane yesterday. Um, I did. I was on the computer just going through uh, panel layouts and things like that. So simple things. Yeah. I'm not cutting anything. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's good. And sound <laughs> advice, I think. <laughs> John, you know, I wanted to ask you, yesterday we had some breaking news about a Qantas 777 at Chicago O'Hare cool. that was taxiing. 
and the right wing end up striking a light pole, a pretty hefty light pole, um, and it caused some very significant damage. Now, this is not the first time we've seen this. Um, the similar incident happened a little over a year ago in Dallas-Fort Worth. That was a, a, an inadvertent uh, taxing out on an edge line instead of a center line that mm. caused the event. Did you hear anything about the Qantas incident? Um, unfortunately, I didn't. I, I mean, I saw the pictures, but uh, there was no context with it as far as where on the airport it was. Um, because I'd like to know. Um, yeah, he wasn't. He didn't just hit it. He was 15, 20 feet into that light bulb. So um, I don't know. If, I assume he was either on the international ramp or on one of the taxiways exiting. But, you know, everything surveyed out pretty well. So wherever he was, he was off the off the beaten path quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, did I say Qantas? I think I think I might. Yeah, I think no, no, Qatar it's Qatar. It's Qatar. Yeah. Yeah. It's Qatar. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something with a Q. I knew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was a Qatar. And uh, the pictures are out there floating around on social media. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find my... You, you remember Mike, uh, Tony? Yeah. We still have to he, have him he on. Told, yeah. We, we, we definitely will get him on at some point. Uh, like, actually on, on, and get his story out there. Um. But he was basically it was for you to to get introduced to the guy Russ who runs. Uh, oh yeah, that was yesterday. You see that, John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that uh, to basically go from like you know guys that are in like little groups that are like the airplanes and coffee group out here in Texas to uh, you know how they grow from like that and if they have careers off of that or anything, but that's all, that's like a whole complete topic yeah. that you can do on a show. I have to research that one. Yeah. And, and um, like uh, there was another one, one of the young kids that I used to teach was asking me of like, he, should he go into the military to go learn to fly, you know, go to college and then go to flight school and do all that versus should he just stay the course and, you know, go to like, a puppy mill type school and finish out and get on and then go into the like air national guard. Yes, Alex, we will let's, and when you come up with these ideas, just shoot, you know, put it on a text or something and then I can put it in my notes for future. Just remind me. Well, uh, John, let me just say thank you so much for joining us today on this, you know, another episode of the Squawk Ident. It's always so exciting to hear about the progress in your build, the adventures you're having. Um, you know, and it's always a pleasure to hear you explain how you're just building an airplane because you wanted to. Um, <laughs> and the progress. Yeah, that's what that, normal people do, right? Right. Yeah, it's it's like, a normal thing. <laughs> something you said to me uh, at many, many uh episodes ago that when well i think maybe the first one you were on is that you don't build an airplane because you want to fly said airplane you want to build an airplane because of the experience um mm -hmm. and man I, you're hitting it that experience that you're getting the wealth of knowledge i think maybe you need to start teaching people how to build well, i've got a long way to go I mean, it's, and, and, and as educated as i am on this there are thousands of people that are giving me advice and so I, I can I can't
claim any of this knowledge as my own. I've only adopted it from others, um, which I'm very fortunate to have people around me uh, to assist because it, it takes a village. There's, it's very difficult to do something like this on your own. And it's uh, just like we all learn uh, in aviation, you know, it's, it, if you stop learning, you just stop aviating. So um, every day, I learned something new and I grasp another little bite of knowledge uh, to help me acquire the, the hopefully attainable goal of having this airplane flying someday. Yeah. Well, we look forward to it and we do appreciate being able to follow you along in your process. Anyone yeah, thanks out, for having me. Absolutely. Uh, anyone out there that wants to follow John, where can they find you? So I'm uh, Instagram, Lanceair underscore legacy. Uh, pretty much every, any well, any day I'm out there working on the airplane, I'm posting a video and some pictures and descriptions of what I'm doing. And uh, um, once I get this airplane up in the air, there'll be video updates of you know the flight testing and the phase one, um, talking about how the airplane flies, what needs to be uh, modified and adjusted. And uh, you know the all important one when I decide what color to paint it. You know I'm sure everybody would be excited to know that. So, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm planning on kind of continuing this on with the the aircraft and you know the we're calling it the road to Reno. You know kind of getting to the point uh, where I'll be racing because that'll be um, a, a whole nother process too once I get the airplane flying. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, again, congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your your story, your adventure, and your recent experience at Oshkosh. Thank you so much for having me, guys. You have enjoyed the day. Thank you. You too. Yeah. And uh, thanks, Alex, for uh, to you as well for joining us. Um, man, you know, talk about an interesting character. You know, I, I got to say, I got to hand it to John. Like, the fact that he picked this up, like, right at the beginning of COVID and was able to at least get the time off in COVID to, to start the good process on the build. Um, but man, to battle building and flying like that's, that takes a lot, you know, and he's, he's got his date set. He's got his, his goals in mind to be Reno air race ready by 2023. And you know yeah. what, from what it looks and what he's saying, he's going to get it barring yeah. any major setbacks, you know, and I don't want to jinx him, but yeah. Barring any major setbacks, I think he'll be Reno Air Race ready by 2023. Yeah, he's 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 such a, you know, ever since before the build when we uh, flew together over at Sandpiper, um, and I, you know, we knew each other in passing. We were both first officers at the same time, both captains at the same time. So I don't think I ever got a chance to fly with John, but you know, I always had so much respect for him that just listening to him talk and explain things and it, about flying and about motorcycles at the time that's what we were you know what we first were talking about when we first met and he's just such a meticulous individual so pensive in his word choice and he you can see it in the way he holds himself and he carries himself uh he's just one of those kind of guys that it's just so smart and you want to absorb his knowledge and his drive i mean if he says he's going to do something man that guy's going to do it um and he's he's got this sense of adventure he and his wife have really had some unique experiences out there doing the whole adventuring and helicopters and and building airplanes and going to these uh, vacation spots around the world and it's just like man this, this guy's pretty cool so I, I always enjoy having a moment to have a conversation with John. And I hope 
that all you out there listening uh, have gotten a taste of that. I mean, the guy is really sharp. No, he, he, you can see it in, in the way that he takes care of his build. And, like, he, obviously you're saying he's meticulous. And that carries over into everything that he's doing, like into, into that aircraft, you know? And th- that aircraft is, you know, because you know John, that it's going to be a beautiful plane. It, everything is going to be so just laid out in the perfect way for how, he, in his mind, he's got that image. And it's he's going to make it. It's going to look beautiful. So... Yeah, I, I, would, I can't wait to see what it looks like when it's done. Yeah, and knowing the process and being able to follow his process on Instagram, I feel like I'd rather put my family in his airplane than I would in, you know, 170, 60, brand new 172. One, or brand new 172. I mean, really, honestly. Well, I'd, take a, I'd take a brand new 172, but um, I would, you know, if John's doing this and like, that, and that's the other thing is like, I good on him to do this because like, I would be, I won't even change the brakes in my car because like, that's the one thing keeping me from slamming into somebody in front of me, right? Like, let alone build an airplane, you know, like my luck, I would forget to torque down a, uh, you know, bolt and my wing would fall off. I've done it. (laughs) (laughs) I forget to torque some things on my car and, you know, I'm like, oh, did I not tighten that bolt? I mean, it happens, but yeah, it could be a disastrous. It could be disastrous. But with an the, airplane, the, you don't get to just. I was gonna say the difference with a car and an airplane is a car. If you forget to torque down a bolt, I mean, okay, like I said, you slam into the car in front of you going fifty miles an hour. That's gonna suck. If you forget to torque down a bolt in an airplane and you don't have a functional rudder now and you're midair when it decides to shear, you know we're talking. Uh, yeah. Something major. You're gonna be on uh on the news. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, it's it's getting time. I don't know if you heard my my dog alarm there. It's time. Yeah. To hit, it's time to hit the gym. <laughs> yep. It's time. It's time for me to to kind of get my my ish together and probably go grab some food and start heading down towards my gate. Yeah. Maybe a tall black coffee. Put some hair uh, in your chest. Uh, you don't drink coffee. Yeah. I know. No, I'll do a triple shot and, you know, do a triple shot. Maybe, of, uh, may, maybe make it with a monster. So that way I can, you know, I can smell colors at that point. Hey, don't knock it until you try it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just say thank you to Alex and thank you to John for joining me today. Did you enjoy listening in on the flight today? We hope you did. And we hope that you pay it forward by sharing this podcast with your friends and family and online. Be sure to subscribe and follow the Squawk Eyed In podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. We also love listening to listener feedback. So record something on your phone and email it in. You can do that right through our website at www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. You can also help produce this show by sending a couple of your hard-earned dollars over to us right there from the homepage. There's a place where you can contribute to the podcast. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can also find us under Squawk Ident Podcast. One final thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe. No, and take care of each other. See ya.
made you better. Do you know anything about planes? Ah! 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 Oh, jeez. Oh, you kill me. You really do. It's an entirely different kind of flying. flying. 